0: Even going into it, I knew it wouldn't be neat or simple. I knew it would be messy. I knew it would hurt, but I wasn't prepared for this. I had been having an affair with a married man, and so I felt like having a child out of wedlock with someone who was married um, was, there was no way to, to come out of that pit of shame. There was no way that that child would ever be loved or would ever be accepted or could ever have a good life. Those are all the lies I heard in my head. I didn't feel like I had a choice. I felt like my only option was to have an abortion. I thought, maybe if I have this abortion, I can live with all of the turmoil inside and at least pretend on the outside to be okay. I was very afraid of, of mostly what other Christians would say if they knew I was pregnant, a single mom. I decided to go ahead and do the pill because that got rid of the problem um, quickly and easily. I thought. My understanding was the first set of pills cut off the baby somehow, and which begins to give the, the baby birth defects or brain damage or something, and then um, you take the second set of pills, which cause, a, um, cause you to miscarry. And so I remember thinking when I took the first set of pills at the doctor's office, well now I've, I've given my child birth defects or brain damage. Um, what kind of a mother would I be anyway? I wasn't prepared for the shame or anger at myself depression that followed. If I had it to do over, I would have my child. Even though it came out of something simple, it would be hard and it would be scary and I don't know how I would pay the bills. But I really believe that my life would be better today if I had a seven-year-old little kid. I really believe it would be better.
1: When we come to a topic like we're talking about today, we come to it with as much grace as we possibly can because we know there are people sitting in this room and people that are listening on the internet that have um, had an abortion or either paid for someone to have an abortion and the talking about the subject raises all kinds of feelings that aren't good and we understand that but one of the biggest problems that we have in the evangelical church is that we stick our head in the sand on this subject we have to thank our catholic friends our catholic friends carry the ball for us on this and uh, we as evangelicals have known it was happening we're pro-life and all that, but we didn't talk about it that much, I think, sometimes because we just didn't want to, because we knew what was going on, and we, out of sight, out of mind, didn't want to deal with it, and so, for you people today, that this will bring back really, this is really a hard message, and it, you may have never had an abortion then this, will. but this is a bummer of a message, you're not going to leave feeling really good, I promise you that. We need to deal with truth on this, and we can't stick our head in the sand and pretend that 55 million babies have not been aborted since 1973, more than the combined population of New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, and L.A. One of the reasons our social security system is bankrupt because we count on a lot more population and a lot more people feeding into it now. But 55 million aren't. We talk about scattering a lot in this church, and as you scatter, you'll have friends every now and then that will come up to you and talk about stuff. And just maybe one day... You'll have a friend that is considering abortion, wants to get an abortion, feels like she's caught between a rock and a hard place, feels like she's got no other option. Just maybe. And if that happens, we need to know how to minister to those people. And so we start off our our series today. I have a friend who, with I have a friend who wants to get an abortion, who's considering abortion, who's pregnant and feels like she needs to abort her baby, what, I mean, whatever you want to title this message. So how do you talk to that friend? How do you give counsel to that friend? How do you be Jesus to that friend? Now, you could come and talk to her from several different topics and several different tacks, and angles, I guess, that's a bad word, that you could take on this subject. You could come to it from the area of fetal development, and let's go ahead and use the terminology of the pro-choice crowd, fetus or tissue. We've heard that word a lot lately, haven't we? Doctors would use the abbreviation POC, product of conception. And obviously there's an agenda in wanting to use that terminology. We, we get that. And, but if we're talking with someone, let's meet them on their turf, you know, and let's talk about fetal development. And when you would talk to that person, you wouldn't talk in use statements, and you've got to know that at three weeks or four weeks, you've got to know at eight weeks your baby is, no, you've got to say something with all the grace that God can give you if you know Karen, uh, Linda Carol Jane, Barbara if I was in your shoes I'd really have to consider that science says that from the moment of conception the moment the egg is fertilized all 46 chromosomes are there Linda, Carol, Bethany, Tracy. I, I would have to consider that if I was you. I, I would have to consider that at at three to four weeks, that fetus takes fetus's heart takes its first of over a billion beats. It will take. I, I'd have to consider that, Lisa I, I'd have to consider that at that at five weeks the the hands and the eyes and the legs are, are starting to form at five weeks it's, at six weeks you know I'd really have to think through the fact that science says that There are brainwaves that can be detected. At seven weeks, science says the child is swimming and kicking. You know, Adrian, I I really would have to really think hard because science says at eight weeks that all the organs are there. Not fully developed, obviously. Not able to sustain life outside the best incubator that could ever be. But all the organs are are there. And the child has grown in such a fast rate in eight weeks that if something or someone doesn't stop that fast growth, that mama will deliver a baby that weighs tons. That child has grown so fast in the first eight weeks. Excuse me, that fetus. You could talk to Cheryl, and you could talk to Amanda, and you could talk to Linda about fetal development. And it's not just a bumper sticker. But abortion stops the beating heart. And before, (laughs) before the woman even knows she's late on her period, three to four weeks after conception, the heart starts to beat. Before she even knows she's late. Biblically, friends, the Bible knows no difference and doesn't have any concept of pre- and postnatal. The, the Bible just like doesn't address pre- and postnatal. In the same way, and this is off topic, but in the same way the Bible doesn't address homosexuals at all. It doesn't address homosexual. doesn't address orientation, doesn't address any. It only addresses behavior. The Bible has no concept of, of, of a person who is a homosexual or a person who has an orientation in the way. The Bible has no concept. The Bible only talks about behavior. And in the same way, the Bible has no distinction between pre- and postnatal. Can I show you an example of that? Luke in chapter 1, Mary has gotten this unbelievable announcement from the angel, and she goes off to her cousin Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you go to Luke, the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 16, and the Bible says, after the birth of Jesus, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. If you look at the original word, the Greek word, they're the exact same zero difference the exact same word of the baby in the womb and the baby that was lying in the manger there's no difference that the bible makes doesn't call it this and that it's the same exact word you can look that up Strong's word 1205 it's right there you can figure it out the bible has no understanding of pre and postnatal. You could talk to fetal development and that may be a good strategy or not. I, I don't know. It's, it's truth. It must be given in love. You can't say things like you've got to know that at five weeks you've got to understand that it no, 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 no. You're hurting the whole situation. You've got to say "Well, you know I would have to consider what science says on this and science says that at three to four weeks before you even knew that you were late on your period the heart starts to beat. I would, ha- I would really have to process that if I was in your shoes, Linda. Uh, an I statement instead of a you statement. The whole fetal development thing is, is unbelievably important because you know what? The statistics... Statistics are very high. And a friend I have here today from the Miami Valley Women's Center told me that 9 out of 10 pregnant women who see the baby on the ultrasound choose to take that pregnancy all the way through. Wow. You want to fight abortion? What's fun ultrasound machines if the person has any church background or any kind of religiosity I'm not saying a Christian or not just any type of Sunday school background or maybe you could just say from your perspective you know you know Carol, I'm a Christian, and I would really have to come into play for me that the Bible says that we are created in the image of God. And that says, obviously, in Genesis chapter 1, before the fall. But you know what the amazing thing is? After the fall, hear me, capital letters, bold print, italicized, underlined, After the fall, some people say, yeah, we were created in God's image before the fall, but you know, everything is so messed up now. After the fall, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. Why? Because God likes to make rules? Why? Just because He said so? No, because you're created in the image of God. That's why. Why should we not? why should we be nice to one another why sh- why sh- are we supposed to relate well to one another why are you supposed to treat me with respect and I'm supposed to treat you with respect why am I supposed to honor you and you're supposed to honor me why why well it, it's just kind of common sense isn't it Mark no we're creating the image of God we're creating the image of God it's theological and when you, don't, when you disrespect me and I disrespect you and, and I don't honor you and you don't honor me, we are absolutely slamming the image of God in that person. I... Um... Here sometimes people say for their reason for an abortion, they'll say, well I'm a single mom and already have two kids and I just can't afford another one. It wouldn't be fair. I love this child too much to bring this child into the mess that is my life. Or, well the doctors have said that our child will be have Down syndrome, or, 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 or the doctors have said that our child will not be able to function fully and just don't want our, ch- I love our child too much to put them through a life like that. That, that, sounds, that sounds good, doesn't it? And the world will applaud that decision and say how loving, and, 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 but think through that decision. Think through that logic. Is being poor and raising a child in a poor family, is that so pitiful and de- not deserving of honor or respect that it's just better off to abort that child? Is poverty that pitiful? Is, 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 is someone who is handicapped in some way, are they such pitiful creatures that is better off if they not even be born? That handicapped person was created in the image of God. The poorest people, the poorest, poorest family in Xenia, Ohio is, is absolutely created in the same image of God as the wealthiest family in Xenia, Ohio. Both deserving of honor and respect and dignity. How condescending it is to say we're going to be poor so this child should not come into this world. Think think that stuff through. Don't just believe what the TV tells you. I used to, I had like 10 years teaching experience, and after my teaching experience, I used to go around and give conferences and seminars for teachers and in-services for teachers and would give them in services on on how to deal with their disruptive students or how to deal with their low motivated students and a, and a few other in discipline in services and one thing i would always tell teachers is that student who is getting on your last nerve is worthy of dignity and respect not because of their behavior but because of who they are now in a secular seminar i wouldn't pull out the phrase imago Dei or image of God but that's what I'm talking about and and people knew good well what I was talking about and I had people slam me because of that I don't like the bumper sticker that says I'm a proud student of an honor roll student at Tecumseh Elementary School I'm waiting for the day that the bumper sticker says I'm the proud student of a failing student I'm a proud parent excuse me of a failing student at Tecumseh Elementary School because our pride in our kids is not because of their achievements. You're heading yourself and you're heading kids up for a big fall if they think that you are really proud of them for the things they do. You love them and honor them and are proud of them because who they are. We're no more proud of the kid that hits the home run in the bottom of the ninth to win the game than we are disappointed in the kid that strikes out with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth. And be careful on how you communicate your pride in your children and especially in their accomplishments. We... we, 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 have, we have a boy who's very bright and in the gifted program, but we never talk about his smartness, if I can invent a word. If he's doing well in school, we talk about, hey, hard work pays off, doesn't it? The furthest we may go on that is that God has given you a really good brain, Levi, and he respects you to use it in a proper way. Your children who have disappointed you greatly are worthy of the same honor and respect of the children who are fine, upstanding citizens of the community. Where where does our concept of human rights come from? Think that through. Where does our concept of human rights, go back into history uh, go back into biblical times. Uh, there was abortion back then. It w- certainly wasn't safe. There was abortion back then. There was infanticide back then, especially if you were a female and you just left you out to die of exposure. You, don't, you just have to be able to read the history. on that. But Christians came around. But Christians came along. And they believed the Imago Dei. They believed that we created in the image of God. And human rights started taking a kind of a different slant. Where did Martin Luther King get his concept and his understanding that made him lead a whole revolution in this country? There's a book four or five years ago that was printed entitled uh, Martin Luther King and the Image of God. I have a quote from that book. This is Martin Luther King here from one of his sermons. The whole concept of the Imago Dei, as it expressed in Latin, the image of God, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. None of us are smart enough to be able to understand what does the image of God mean. That's about as good. God has injected something in us. And I don't know how the image of God plays out and what that really means. We're obviously not gods. We're obviously not divine. But as Dr. King says, has something within them that God has injected. Next slide. Not that, all right, not that they have a substantial unity with God. Here's Dr. King. Not that they have a unity with God and have divinity within them, but every man has a capacity to have fellowship with the divine. And this gives him a uniqueness, it gives him a worth, it gives him a dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. This is how bright he was. Wow, this next statement is powerful. There are no gradations in the image of God. You know what the word gradation means? It means degrees. It means degrees. Like if there were gradations in the image of God, this person has more of the image of God than that person. Or as you get older, you have more of the image of God in you. He says there's no gradations in the image of God. And listen to this. Every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard. You thought Stevie Wonder said that, didn't you? No, it's Martin Luther King. <laughs> Stevie stole it from Martin Luther King. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. You know, Karen, I, I really take the image of God very seriously. And, and, and Sue, I just really have to, would have if I was in your shoes, And I know you're in a tough place, and I get that, and I respect that. But if I was in your shoes, as a Christian, as a person who believes in God, I would have to take the image of God seriously. So so if if we live in a society that is is secular, and we live in a society that no longer honors God, that no longer loves or fears God, that no longer gives a nod to God, that no longer reverences Him, or as the Bible would understand, that no longer has a fear of God, then where do human rights come from, from those people, from the secular people? Where do they come from? I mean, why, where is the logic behind human rights? It's certainly not in science. It certainly can't find it in science. And you shouldn't. I'm not putting down science. You shouldn't be able to find that in science because it's not a scientific issue. You know where the scholars say that human rights comes from? It comes from a word that they, they use, the word capacity. That we have human rights because of our capacity to choose, our capacity to reason, our capacity to love, our capacity to function, and our capacity to think. Therefore, if you're a fetus and you have no capacity to reason, if you have no capacity to, to sense or no capacity to, to be able to communicate or capacity to be able to love there's no rights now think that through what kind of capacity does a one week old baby have it has the capacity to eat and poop that's all it can do and if you don't feed it it's going to die it can't reason, it can't think it can't process things Oh, I guess it can show you love, but you know you put it in front of any adult, it would show it love. It hasn't, it's not there yet in their brain development. Go further with that. What about a person who's mentally handicapped? What capacity do they have? If they have no capacity, there's no rights for them. Go further than that. What about the elderly? Who is laying in hospitality East nursing home, who no longer knows his kids and no longer knows anyone who comes in? What capacity does that person have? And if that person has no capacity, according to the world, if you keep the same logic, they have no rights. If you use the same logic as, as the fetus, if you follow that logic out and don't somehow take a right turn with that logic, then what? 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 What right does this person with dementia, who's ninety years old, and in, in in the bed and has to be fed? Why don't we just? You cannot throw away the doctrine of the image of God. And as a Christian, Tracy. As a Christian, Pam, as a Christian, Kim, I take seriously the image of God. Don't you feel good? I'm not sure we should feel good, church. I left this out in the first service because I went long, but... Somehow, Samantha, I would have to consider that because I've had this... Because I'm pregnant and because I've made this choice to have sexual relations and even though I use birth control, I'm smart enough to know that there's no birth control that's 100% safe. I, I knew the consequences of my actions could be a pregnancy and because of that choice that I made to have sex, it's just not about me anymore. That I have another person inside of me. And that may or may not be a good tack to take because if you look at the reasons that most women have abortions, it's a them issue. And I don't put them down for that. I, just, that's, I get that totally, but that's just... Don't, don't buy into the rape and incest crowd and think it's all about rape and incest. It's a very small percentage. The majority of abortions come from... My desires. And Carol, I just have to tell you, Linda, I just have to tell you that when I feel like if I was pregnant, it was no longer all about me because I have someone else that is dependent on me inside of me. Eric, we've got that reasons for abortion document there was a study done back about 10 years ago it was not done by a pro-life crowd it was done by the same organization that planned parenthood uses to do their research and if you go online and you look at this organization and you read their mission statement they are not a conservative organization 92 percent of women said social or other factors were the reason behind their abortion 7% 7% said physical problems or possible health problems with the baby were the reason. And a half a percent said that they were sexually violated. That does happen. Let's don't deny that that happens. But let's don't buy into the argument that that's why women are in huge numbers are getting abortions. Eric, what else do we have up here? 25% said that they were not ready for a kid or another. The timing was wrong. It's just not right for me right now. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be flipping and put that down. I'm just trying to show you that abortion is, is about the desires of, 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 of the female and not considering the desires of that other living creature you have inside of you. 23%, I just can't afford Baby, nineteen percent. Well, I've I'm really completed my childbearing, and I've already have enough kids. And eight percent. I I I'm just I'm just in a mess in my life. I'm a single mom, and uh, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm not old enough. I'm not mature enough. and I want to get an education I get all those reasons but the only thing I'm saying is if I'm pregnant it's just not about me anymore and I have to consider this other person after all church that's what God wants us to be able to do he wants that our desires he, he wants our desires to not be bent toward us, to be bent toward Him and toward other people. That's the great commandment, love Him and love other people. But the problem with me and the problem with every single other person on the face of this earth, is my desires are bent toward me. Dr. Kinlaw says my heart is turned in toward me and not out turned out toward other people. That's, our, that's the sinful nature. And I would have to some way, and it's just a more gracious way than I'm doing right now, and say, say I I would just have to think it's not just about me anymore. Because I have another person in me that I'm responsible for in every decision that I make whether to eat this food or not eat this food or smoke this cigarette or not smoke that cigarette or go on a roller coaster or not go on a roller coaster, it has to do with this person that's inside of me. James chapter 4 is interesting when it's applied to the abortion issue. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your, <laughs> don't they come from your desires? battle within you you desire but you do not have so you kill you covet but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and you fight the second largest selling christian religious book of all time behind the bible is the purpose-driven life by rick warren the first sentence of the first chapter is, it's not about you. Linda Summers is here from the Miami Valley Women's Center and I'm going to ask her to come and and Linda, would would you just tell us, we've Run long again, imagine that, that's never happened before, has it? Would you just take the mic and tell us about some opportunities that we have at church? We're for Xenia, which means that we're for children, born or unborn, aren't we? And Linda, would you just give us some ways that we can somehow get into this fight and uh, help our Catholic friends in speaking up for the unborn? Can you give us some of those opportunities, please?
2: Um, first, I want to say thank you so much, Pastor for allowing me to come and just to speak just a little bit and to also um, also give you a chance and opportunity to partner with us um, for women and families who are experiencing crisis pregnancy. Everything that he said today, listen to the what do you have something a DVD or whatever. listen to this again because um, I don't think there's time for me to go into what to say to a friend but what he has said today, all of it is good. All of it's good. Um, What we do at our center is that we are praying for the crisis, uh, for the women who are abortion-minded to walk through our doors, to call our lines. So we need your help. First of all, we need you to pray for us. We believe and truly trust wholeheartedly in God and that he has called us to do the work that um, he has called us to do, and he's equipping us to do that work and to send that message of life to these women. Um, another thing that you can do is to be a liaison from this church to our center. We need that link so that you can um, keep everyone here at this church in the loop of what we're doing for the community as Xenia as well as Kettering, as well as Huber Heights. Some other things we do there. We need mentors who will go alongside these women as well as men. So we need women and men who would be willing to go on -on one-on-one sessions with these people talking about parenting, prenatal care, as well as talking to them what does it look like to be a parent with God helping you, coming alongside you. What's really cool is they can earn baby bucks and learning loot. They earn things like strollers, cribs, mattresses for those cribs, car seats, all this stuff is free to them. Intake and follow-up involves the pregnancy tests, involves the ultrasounds, if that is something that the technician is saying it's time for you to get an ultrasound. All these things, we need people for that. We need people to stuff the envelopes, <laughs> to When we get all those donations in to wash those baby clothes and to fold them and to sort them, we need people to do that. Um, We need people to be mentors for gift. What's gift? We go into the schools and we mentor small groups of girls in eighth grade all school year, telling them that they are worthwhile, they are worth the wait, telling them that they are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Yes, we do do that. And we also talk to them about what social problems, all that stuff, all that stuff. Get them to have a chance to talk to us. Um, finally, we need nurses and ultrasonographers who can run those machines, who are trained, and who are trained in um, medicine as well. These are all things and many more. If you would like to talk with me, I'll be at the table after the service. Um, Again, I thank you so much that you have a concern and a heart for not just the unborn, but also the moms and the dads because it's a family that we're affirming. It's a family that we're coming up alongside and saying, you can do this. You You can do this thing called parenting. Thank you,
1: Linda. I appreciate you being here so much. I hope you avail yourself to Linda out at the table and, and, hey, friends, somebody needs to step up and be our church liaison. It, really, the staff can't do that. We've got enough armor plate and all the other things. We need a layperson to be our liaison from this organization to this church. and, and the, and some, please, somebody step up and to be able to do that. It's hard for us as a staff to keep track of all the agencies that want to send us emails and, and keep stuff in front of us. Somebody can do that, and the rest of us can do in a lot of different ways. The Miami Valley Women's Center is a recipient the last two years of our 100% offering in, in that we give away everything that comes into this church in December and they've been a recipient, as well as some other organizations in this town. But uh, Linda knows, as well as you know and as well as I know, that everyone, every friend that we have who's considering abortion um, will not be persuaded by our marvelous talk, and they will go ahead. And of course, I'd have to say that the Holy Spirit has to be the real persuader there and is using us through all of that, obviously. But obviously, some of your friends will go ahead and have the abortion. In church, if you were their friend before the abortion, you are their friend after the abortion. We do ourselves an unbelievable disservice to the unbelieving world when we go around holding up our pro-life signs, but aren't there for the women afterwards or don't give them options or don't say i'll adopt her i'll pay for all your prenatal care if we just say no the unbelieving world is going to slam us and rightfully so and your friend is going to struggle with the aftermath of that emotionally and sometimes physically. I mean, we could go into that as well. And they need your support. You don't have to support the abortion. But you can support the person. And just maybe if they respected you before, and even though they went ahead with it, they respected your love and believed you cared for them, maybe when the aftermath happens, they'll come back to you again. Let's play that last video, Eric, please.
0: A long time to finally get out of that relationship. Uh, And when I did, I knew that I would have a lot of things to deal with and a lot of things that the Lord needed to set right in my heart and in my life. And one of them was gonna be uh, my abortion and the loss of my child. I guess one of the first things was just confessing it and saying it out loud and coming out from under the cloud of shame. Once it was spoken out loud, there was an immediate confrontation of everything that Satan had whispered to me. Um, My parents loved me anyway. Uh, My friends loved me anyway. My family accepted me anyway. And that was not something I believed would happen. The biggest thing God wanted to speak to me was that in the middle of my messiness, in the middle of the little disaster I made of my life, um, He loved me. No matter what I did, He could make this good. And he is able to make this good. And I wish I could impart to someone else that in the middle of that pain, in the middle of that whirlwind, in the middle of trying to make decisions or trying to suffer through the consequences of decisions, that the Lord is there and He is steady and He loves you and He will make something good come out of this, whether you've had an abortion or you're thinking about it now, that he is bigger than your pregnancy or he's bigger than your abortion.
1: Do you ever say uh, that immediately when she confessed it and spoke it out loud, uh, all the lies that the enemy had been feeding her went away. She said, my, my parents still love me. Hey, raise your hand, parents, if you're, one of your children gets pregnant that you won't love them anymore. Raise your hand, please. Uh, kids, turn around and look at all the hands that I raised right now. Now, the enemy will tell you that. And I'm not even talking to the teenagers, I'm talking to everyone. Hey, uh, if your friend gets pregnant uh, out of wedlock, raise your hand if you will no longer uh, have any association with her. Raise your hand. But that's what the enemy says.. For those of you under the sound of my voice, on the Internet or, or right here, there's healing for this. There's forgiveness for this. Ladies, there's forgiveness for this. Men. Who paid for your girlfriend, who paid for your mistress to take care of the problem, there's healing for this. I was 21, and she was 17. We sat outside the clinic knowing we were doing the wrong thing. But the words I remember speaking to her as we were even weighing the decision before we went in was we're caught between a rock and a hard place. I couldn't tell my mom and dad. I couldn't have let them down that way. I didn't love the girl. I bought all the lies. about all the lies. There's healing. There's new life. There's hope. There's resurrection. There's cleansing. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new because of the cross of Christ. (laughs)